Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 34. Last week we began to look at this poignant yet profound account of this woman who was accustomed with suffering and with shame. She came to Jesus and found healing. And maybe above all, that's what we need to hear again and see as Mark is painting such a powerful picture for us in these early chapters of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that all who come to him find healing. They find life. They find wholeness, acceptance, forgiveness, grace, and peace. Young and old, sick and suffering, rich and poor, powerful and weak, Jew and Gentile, non-Jew, those that come humbly and meekly with great doubt, as well as those that come boldly with great faith, those that come in desperation, those that come with resignation. Some come publicly, others privately, and even some trying to come secretly, as we see in this woman. Let's read again, as we did last week, Mark, 24, Mark 5, 24, verses through 34. And the great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth the whole story. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Such a timely passage for us as a couple things intersected, both us finding ourselves in this place and we were trying to find a date where Tisa Rutherford would come and share with us. She's the outreach coordinator for those experiencing homelessness in the city of Redmond. And she was here last week. And just the, see, the way that those lined up, I do believe this woman here was experiencing homelessness. It says she had spent all that she had to try to get well and was no better. All that she had. She had nothing left. And so what a, what a, what a fitting and poignant reminder of the timeless truth that represents so many in our community. And we were able to enter into the story, I think, for some relatively easily, emotionally perhaps, those that have experienced this kind of suffering or at least can relate, and those that resonate with the shame that she must have felt. And for those that couldn't, I think we could exercise empathy. As we know, family members and friends or community that this is a true story for. So let's re-enter this story and then look more closely at Jesus' response. That's what I wanted to press in and leave us with because I think it is powerful. And if we will receive it, we will begin to find healing and wholeness. It's Jesus' promise. It's his way for us. Maybe in other words, if we would just press in and touch the edge of Jesus today, it is enough. It is enough. At this point in Jesus' ministry, we know that there's many rumors about him. 
this woman had heard the reports about him. Now, not all of them were true, as it seems that everyone was trying to understand and grasp who this young upstart rabbi was and is, even those closest to him. That's a continued theme through the story of even the disciples saying, who is this? We've just seen that recently. And ultimately to the end, until they truly see the risen Christ, they are full with doubt of questions of who he truly is. So the rumors have been spreading, maybe far and wide, which ones to believe? What, what do we believe? I wonder if others had been healed by mere proximity to Jesus. Do you think that's possible? Somehow this woman has heard, if I would just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. How did that rumor spread? She believed it. Is it possible that others had had that kind of an experience or I couldn't get close, I was in the crowd and I couldn't reach him, but you know what? I found my healing. I went away and, and my pain was gone. I think that's probably quite possible or likely even. Acts 5, 14, look what happens in the healing ministry of Peter through the power of the Spirit. More and more believers were added to the Lord, Acts 5, 14. Multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats so that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were, were all healed. That power of healing continued through the Spirit, through his disciples. We'll see it in Paul too. Even, even a handkerchief that Paul had possessed some form of healing. Now we know it wasn't the thing itself, but the faith in the one who heals. So this is where this belief somehow comes from. The rumor spreads, spreads even if it's an inaccurate or incomplete faith. Surely not everyone who touched Jesus was healed. This is more description than it is prescription, True. But somehow this suffering and shamed woman came to believe this, even if that faith was small. And she has a powerful encounter, literally, as healing power flows from Jesus through him to her. This slight excursus here, I think this reinforces a concept that we see throughout the scriptures of the powerful presence of God himself, even from the garden. God is the source of life, eternal life, for all he, for all he creates. Now, in a tangible way, the tree of life is received by Adam and Eve. They can eat from it and have their life, but there's not some magic fruit somewhere. The picture in the garden is that God is the life source. He always is, and presence with him means eternal life. Distance from him, separation, ultimately means, means death from him. Things die. He has that kind of life-giving power, and, and that power seems to be reinforced throughout Scripture. Just as we would take the communion elements, and you might do so today, we know that in them is not life, hardly a calorie. But in the declaration of the faith and the one who gives life, we receive, we partake, we remember. Throughout Scripture, we see God's power in his presence to give life and to heal as well as to cease life, to end it. It's rather striking, isn't it? These, these strange stories, some accounts like Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6 they were taking the Ark of the Covenant from one place to another, and Uzzah reached out and touched the Ark. It was about to fall over, and he was struck down. He died. And this is not a story on Uzzah, but there's a power presence here that is reinforced throughout the story. At the Passover, the time of the Passover, God's presence came through the city, and death came in its wake. Yet for those who painted the doorframe with the blood of the lamb, it seems that blood is a recurring theme of life and barrier or buffer even between God's presence. 
when the tabernacle was erected and there was a, the holy of holy place where God ultimately dwelt, it was, it was so dangerous that no one could enter into that place, the presence of God, for fear of their own life. There's tradition that, the, so the high priest could go in once a year on the day of atonement with the right blood, the blood as the buffer, so to speak. There was tradition that they would tie a rope around his waist just in case he was struck dead. We got to get him out of there because no one else can go in after. Now, now, this starts to paint the picture of the fear of God in a holy way. He's holy other. And it's often, it often says that God struck down. He struck. Now, Dallas Willard describes the presence of God like a, a massive energy source, like electricity or, or nuclear power in our modern terms, like lightning. Is it possible that when God strikes, he strikes more like lightning than with a sword? Is it not because he is vindictive and wrathful and an angry God, but because he is powerful and he is ultimately dangerous for the mortal to be near? And yet God doesn't withdraw his presence, knowing his power, knowing that any that would come near, especially those that have broken covenant with him, that have not found their life in him, anyone that come, would come near would ultimately have their life taken. It would cease in his presence, in his holy presence. But instead of withdrawing and sealing himself off, he makes a way. Really, the whole story of scripture is God making a way to dwell with his people in a safe way. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus and the blood of the lamb, the blood that is now received, the blood that is now in us, he said, in me, take and eat me in you. It's the only way that we can be in God's presence in a safe way. Excursus over. But as we enter back into the story, this woman found healing in the mere presence of God on earth in Jesus. Interesting that this story centers around blood as well. But the most important part of the story is not that this woman receives her physical healing. Jesus does even more for her. Jesus receives this woman. He does not rebuke her. When it's found out that she is unclean from this discharge of blood, he does not distance himself like any other rabbi would have to become unclean himself. We see this repeatedly. He touches the leper. He touches the dead body of the girl and raises her to life. He leans into the presence of those who are unclean. And this is the greatest miracle of all that happened in her life that day. She had suffered for 12 years physically, certainly. Something internal is deeply wrong and no doubt painful. Financially, as we said, she's given all that she has. And she's no better. And there's the beginning of the emotional suffering. Despair and hopelessness are easy to imagine. Yet her suffering may not have been as painful as her shame. And I think it's obvious that she comes with great shame. She comes in secret to sneak in, sneak out. Maybe if, if only if, I don't even have to be seen. I, I know I won't be received. I know it's not right for me. I've been told that again and again, I am unworthy of being touched. So I will touch and I will sneak in and sneak out. I can imagine her covering her face. There's the second shame. She falls down at his feet in fear and trembling pours out her story, the whole story. The sources of her shame were likely many, and we can't know them all, but I don't think some of them are hard to imagine. As we mentioned last week, most scholars believe this, this bleeding, this perpetual bleeding, was some form of uterine hemorrhage. 
And if that's true, then that meant this woman would have been ceremonially or ritually unclean. The law was very clear and repetitive about this. We looked at Leviticus 15 last week. You can reread that if you need to or read it if you weren't here or listening. The law was very clear that a woman with a discharge of blood at that time was ceremonially unclean for that period until she would be able to return to community, to worship, to gatherings. And really anything that she touched would also become unclean and need to be repurified or ritualized. Well, that was meant to be a temporary quarantine, so to speak. This was 12 years long. This woman was avoided, untouchable, unclean for 12 years. If she had a husband, which would almost have been a guarantee in that culture, he's not mentioned here, he likely would have divorced her and been encouraged to do so. She's unclean. You can't have relations with her. You can't touch her. She makes everything else unclean. No one wants to be with you. We can't invite you into community. She can't be with you in worship, in celebration, in festivals. And furthermore, furthermore, at that point, there was a tight relationship, they believed, between sickness like this, disease, something not right, and sin. Furthermore, she must be a sinner for God not to heal this, for, her, for, for he is punishing her. Distance yourself from that. And really, a man could dis- divorce his wife for any and every reason. And this would have been a justifiable one in their regard. Her shame runs deep. She's been left. She's alone. She has nothing. As a woman in that culture, she's already told that she's lesser or secondary. That's reinforced across, across the board. It's a good thing that we have progressed so far as a community today that that would never happen. She was ostracized from her community. Her very private medical condition was made public and broadcast so that everyone in her community could avoid her so that they could be faithful to the law. No human connection. So are you starting to feel this shame? Unworthy of love, maybe unworthy of forgiveness, acceptance. Likely she had prayed many times. Maybe she was done praying, but had prayed many times, God, heal. God, forgive my sin where I don't see it and I don't know it. Maybe I am unclean and unworthy. Maybe God was punishing her. She must have felt incredibly alone, incredibly worthless, and most likely hopeless, desperate, Sociologists and shame specialists, literally, maybe leading in this field today, Brene Brown says, shame is the never good enough emotion. Its power to make us feel that we're not worthy of belonging, love, and connection is unmatched in the realm of emotion. And I'm certain that there's some here or watching online who can resonate with this feeling of shame, of being exposed, of being unworthy, unlovable, or untouchable. And I know that there's others that resonate with the suffering side. Maybe not as much with the shame side, but the suffering of something's wrong and off. And we've leaned into that more last week, that ongoing pain and that wondering, will I ever have my healing? Maybe you've given up even praying for it anymore. And nothing I can say can alleviate shame or suffering for you, but Jesus can. Look at his response. Look at his answer and receive it as if he says it to you 
I believe he does. He would not let her sneak in and sneak out. He notices power goes from him like an electric static shock at a divine level. But he doesn't see who it is. He looks around. Here's another reinforcement of Jesus living in the power of the Spirit, but not grasping onto his divinity. Had he pulled from his divinity, he could have said, I know exactly who came to me and everything about her. He doesn't do that here. He holds that open and he lives as a man and says, who touched me? He lets the humanness of the experience and the encounter come. He doesn't go, oh, you, and you're trying to sneak away, come. He says, who touched me? An invitation for her to draw near. He pauses, and remember, he's on his way to the, a death girl's bed, ultimately, or one that's about to die. She will die. He'll raise her. But in that moment, he's being pressured to go by Jairus, by those that have come, probably by the disciples. What are you doing? Got an urgent mission, and he pauses to invite this woman, the unlovable, unworthy, untouchable, to draw near and find far more than her physical healing. She's already sensed she's healed. I don't know how she knew that, but she just knew. You live with something long enough, I guess you just feel healing. She felt it. And her opportunity was to sneak away. She could have done it. But she falls at his feet. She draws near. And I have to imagine she wonders, could this rabbi offer me even more than my physical healing? Is it possible that he would make me whole? That he would elevate me? That he could take away my shame? and restore me completely. I think this woman represents all who are marginalized, shamed, told they're not enough, not worthy enough, not good enough, they don't measure up, they don't have enough faith, unlovable, they don't belong, they can't connect, it's, and it's their fault. By your actions, it's your fault. Worse, stepping into where shame lives and breathes is that's who you are. Right? The difference between guilt, I did something horrible. I did something wrong. I feel that. And shame, I am horrible. I am bad. Very striking difference. Again, Brene Brown writes extensively and teaches extensively on these concepts. This woman also represents those who suffer and all who have given up hope of ever being well and whole. And if that's you, if that's you, draw near to Jesus. Don't sneak away. Fall at his feet. Tell him the whole story. He does know it anyway. But pour it out. It's an invitation. And receive his response. She is physically healed, but for Jesus, this seems to be fifth on his priority list that day. It's the first thing she receives but not the first thing he wants to address. Did you listen to his response? And let's break this apart. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I'll take exception at some of the translation by the ESV here. You'll see. Daughter, he starts call, by calling her her true name, her true self. Daughter of a good father. That's, that's who he called God throughout repeatedly. God, our father, even Abba, like a daddy. Daughter, position. You have a home. You are not homeless. Furthermore, as God the king and then Jesus the king of kings, maybe this didn't resonate in the moment for her, 
But later dots connect and they do for us. As daughters of the king, you are royalty. He was saying to her, princess, the unlovable, the unworthy, the unclean, the ostracized, the marginalized, the one with no place, the one wondering, is this who I am? He says to her, princess. He receives her and he welcomes her in. Believe it. Receive it. He esteems. He re-identifies. He renames. He elevates. He empowers. Her position is internal as if by blood. Her heritage is guaranteed by his blood in her. That's priority number one for Jesus. Identity. Priority number two, faith. Now, it seems that she had some faith. If I just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. But you've got to imagine that that feels like a small faith or a desperate faith or a fleeting faith and just a wonder and a hope. And it's an incomplete faith. It may even be a wrong faith. If I just touch his cloak, that's all I need from Jesus. Is that the, is that the story? No. And Jesus offers so much more and is so much more. But what he says to her, her little faith, her weak faith, her incomplete faith, her incorrect faith, he says is enough. He says it's big enough. Your faith has made you well. Continuing to elevate, powerful, effective, amazing. Have you been told your faith isn't big enough, good enough, correct enough, right enough? How dare they? Jesus says it is. That a mustard seed-like faith is enough because he is enough. Priority number one, identity. Priority number two, empower faith, even the smallest bit, and grow it. Priority number three for Jesus, your faith has made you well. Here's my first exception. I bet some of you know this word if you've listened to my preaching for any length of time now. This is the word sozo. This is the word translated save in Luke 19.10. For Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Your faith has saved you, has made you whole. Sozo is a holistic healing. It was making all wrong right, all broken mended. It was fullness in the life of his kingdom. It wasn't salvation from earth to eternal heaven, though that may be a piece of it. It's the right now holistic restoration. It's a better phrase would be wellness, wholeness, or completeness. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has completed you. And that's what Jesus has come to do. This is wellness, but it is so much more. Jesus came to seek and to sozo all that is lost and all that is broken, all that is sick, all that is suffering, and all shame. This is where her shame is undone. You are well. You are whole and complete. You are clean. Never be ashamed. Rise up, daughter of the king. Priorities for Jesus. Identity, faith, wholeness, and fourth, peace. Go in peace. Part of our wellness in Jesus is peace, and it comes from knowing our identity as a daughter or a son, knowing and believing we are loved, 
not only welcomed, but invited, seen, cleansed, forgiven, esteemed, honored, and empowered. Knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Peace, shalom, contentedness are the results. The fruit of the Spirit, third on the list, right? Love, joy, peace. A deep contentedness in our identity through the faith, even an incomplete but growing faith in who Jesus is can be ours. Receive it. Identity, faith, wholeness, peace. And finally, he says, be healed of your disease. Another mistranslation. She had already received her healing. It's already done. So what's he saying? This can rightly be translated, be free of your affliction. The word in Greek for disease, translated disease here is much better and more often translated affliction or oppression. The word is literally derived from whip. W-H-I-P, the word whip. Be freed from the whip. It invokes slavery. And in the story of God's people, their enslavement, their bondage, their chains, and God's deliverance. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be free of your affliction, of your oppression, of your bondage, and of your shame. Be free. Now walk in that freedom. And Paul would say later, I think, to the Galatians, do not return again to a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Live in it. It's an ongoing imperative. Walk in that freedom, in that deliverance. Yes, Jesus desires to heal us physically, but it's always lower on his list of priorities. In this case, fifth in line, ultimately, and if it's, I think, rightly translated, he knows she is already physically healed and doesn't even address it. He addresses everything else about her holistic person and restores her completely and empowers her as she goes. So powerful. And for Jesus, we know that outward healing that he performed, and I believe he does love to give that. That is God's nature. Holistic healing includes our physical selves. But it was often, if not always, a sign of something deeper. Like we saw with the paralytic. Son, your sins are forgiven. Astonishing everyone in the room. But so, but so that all of you who doubt know that I have that power, rise up and walk. Of course, that's why he came, but he got so much more. And so we come to Jesus. When often physical healing, when we are suffering or in pain, is first on our priority list. And, and no shame or no guilt on that. When you live with that, that is sometimes all you can see and all you know. And Jesus knows that. But knowing him, he desires far more. Also, we pray for his perspective. Because in Jesus, in his eternal kingdom perspective, we are healed. We are well. It's already done. He sees us that way. And we're invited to walk in that holistic healing, even if physical healing is not granted. We continue to seek he does love to heal as a representation of his greater sozo in all of life. So do not give up seeking. Do not give up knocking. But ultimately, we all know, for some of us in this room, have experienced God's miraculous healing 
touch. It is, if it's physical, it is always temporary from our earthly perspective. These bodies will fail and die for us to be restored and resurrected again and have bodies like our risen Lord. The promise that Paul emphasizes again and again. Ephesians 2, 1 Corinthians 15 as specific examples. Jesus has come that we might have life, that we might have wholeness, that we might have freedom to the full. We come to Jesus humbly, but we do not need to come secretly, and we never come ashamed. Because of what he has done, because of who he is, we come with confidence. Jesus never shames, he honors and esteems. The world, everyone may withdraw from us. Jesus will always pursue the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4:16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Approach with confidence. Do so humbly, but approach with confidence. Paul says in Ephesians 3:12, in Jesus and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So whether sick and suffering, ashamed and alone, hopeless or maybe feeling helpless, come to Jesus. Draw near. And if spiritually all it feels like is you can reach and touch the edge of that garment today, believe it is enough. He offers and desires to give so much more. And there is always more in him, but we start with enough. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily touch, Lord. Just enough. Come to him. And receive the words of Jesus and respond as the Spirit leads. Daughter, son, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be free of affliction and shame. Let us pray. Father God, our good Father, Abba, we come to you. You have said again and again, and again, we are sons and we are daughters. We are co-heirs with Christ. Such a lofty thought that we probably just remove it to the side and come groveling before you, begging, asking for a touch, doubting you will give one, wondering if we're good enough, feeling the shame that has been laid upon us by the lies of the enemy reinforced by the world. You have come to break every chain, to deliver, to lift all affliction, to raise us up, to rename us and re-identify us in you. Would you now reach out and touch as we strive in our heart and our spirit, and our soul within us to reach and touch. Your promise is if we would draw near, you draw near to us. We are desperate for an experience of your touch, your mercy, your grace, your healing. We know your presence is here. We come humbly and meek. And even for those of us that feel well and relatively whole, Either lead us to intercede on behalf of others and to ask for more, Lord. To even pray in a holistic way 
that you would grow our faith for the days, weeks, months, and years to come, that we would find all of our life in you and you alone. As we receive communion today, may it be a tangible reminder that your life and blood is in us. Grow in us, Lord, as we have the fruit of the grain and the fruit of the vine, symbols that represent life. Grow in us spiritual life that we might extend your kingdom and represent you in all of your ways. Meet us here, Lord. We humbly yet confidently come. In the name of Jesus, our healer, we pray. Amen.